Karen continues the series, Process and Experience. The review you received at the door has scripture references for today's sermon, or follow along electronically on YouVersion. Just find the Church at Indian Lake under Live Events. And remember that you can always stay connected by bookmarking thechurchatindianlake.com, liking our Facebook page, and following us on Twitter at ch underscore Indian Lake. We'll see you next time. through this message message series that to be the complete people God wants us to be and simultaneously the complete Christian God wants us to be, it's important that we have both process and experience. Process meaning we're people of faithfulness, we're faithful participants in church, in our devotional life. We have seasons, we have a rhythm. Experience means we have an openness to everything God wants for us. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 24. And as you're going there, I want to remind you of kind of the focus statement we've read every week of this series. And it says it this way. We are a people of process open to God experiences. We are a people of process open to God's God experiences. For over 20 years now, I've been working for a church in some fashion. So I've had the privilege of going to a lot of hospital rooms, funeral homes, to residential homes when people were in crisis. And I've seen the best of humanity there, the best of God's people and how the Holy Spirit comes to us in times of challenge, in times of grief. I've also seen some things that are kind of hard to watch And there's two different types of experiences that I've seen that I want you to know about. When someone has been sick and they've ended up dying of that sickness, and I discover that nobody prayed for them to be healed. This is not a situation where maybe it's time for someone to go on and be with the Lord because they're at that age and they're ready, but maybe if someone is young, are in middle age and they're not ready to go. And I discovered that no one prayed for God to heal them. That's a sad thing. Or if they did pray, it was kind of an anemic, obligatory prayer. Can I, God, heal them if you can, maybe, like you did thousands of years ago. But not a faith-filled, expectant prayer. And I think it's unfortunate when I discover that. On the other hand, something even more difficult for me, especially with the faith tradition that I'm from, is when I have discovered, and this has happened often, that the right prayers have been prayed, that faith has been high, that people have asked, and yet God in his sovereign will has chosen for that person to go on and not receive an earthly healing. And when that happens, that's okay. The part that is disturbing is when Christians have to blame someone. So Christians began to question, did we pray the right words? Did we use the right phrase? 
are worse than that, and this is the part that can be really hurtful, is when Christians blame the person that wasn't healed. And they may immaturely say something like, well, they didn't want to be healed or they didn't understand or they weren't, they didn't have enough faith. Neither one of those experiences are sufficient for me. I, I think they're both very troubling. I don't want to be a Christian or part of a people who never believes God can do anything. So we never pray for the sick. Or we never believe God can break through. or We never believe there's a deliverance. Simultaneously, I don't want to be a person or part of a people who are always blaming others and always, always causing people to question their faith just because the outcome isn't what we want at the moment. This journey has led me to the concept that I want to talk to you today. It's the concept of the already not yet kingdom of God. The already not yet kingdom of God. That's what I'm teaching on today. Now, this is not something, you know, that I wrote on a napkin at Starbucks. And so I'm launching to you as, as my trial run. This is something very common in theology today. George Ladd from Fuller Theological Seminary came out with this in 1964 in a book now called The Present Future. John Wimber, as he led the Vineyard Movement, believed this and taught this as a defining theology of that movement. And in more contemporary times, systematic theology book by Wayne Grudem, which has kind of become the standard systematic theology book for this generation. Wayne Grudem very much believes this too. So this is something that is becoming a very... Um, common thought in Christianity, but it's going to really help us today. Now, before you think, now, this, is this going to be a boring theological sermon? There is theology here, but it has incredible practical application on how you live your life. So I want you to hang with me because I really believe that even though we're going to look at a lot of scripture and maybe part of this message today has kind of a classroom feel to it, if you hang with me, I believe God's going to speak to you and really define the way you interpret the gospels, and the way you live your life. There's a lot of debate on what did Jesus mean when he said the kingdom of God? Was he talking about something imminent happening right now? This is in the gospels. Or was he talking about something futuristic, like an eschatology, kind of something that happened at the end of time, end of current time when God comes to rule and reign? And there's been a lot of debate about that. And if you if you commit to one interpretation or the other, it becomes problematic. So if you say, well, Jesus was just talking about the, Christian, the people of that day. There's a lot of evidence. A lot of things Jesus said would come to pass, came to pass in AD 70 when Jerusalem fell. Now, if you believe everything was just for that day, then there's no possibility that Jesus was talking about our future. But if you think everything was to our future, you don't see the very clear connection between historical facts and what Jesus predicted. So here, here's what I believe a helpful phrase is. The kingdom of God is already here because of Jesus coming, but is not yet here because he's coming again. And this will help us immensely. So what is the kingdom of God? That's a great question. What is the kingdom of God? Look at Matthew chapter 24. This is Jesus speaking himself. And he says in verse 13, Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the signs of his coming. 
And, and I believe this, we won't look at all of these. He talks about earthquakes and famines and war. And I believe this, that since Jesus ascended into heaven, the signs of his coming have been coming and going with different amounts of intensity. Like a woman who is giving labor, they come and they go, they come and they go. And depending on where you are geographically in the world, you may experience famine or you may not. You may be succumbing to an earthquake, you may not. Certainly wars at different parts of the world. And in our history as a nation, wars happen at different times. And what it is, is things such as famine and earthquake and war and those negative experiences scream to us, we need Jesus. We, we can't get too comfortable here. We can't just stay here and, and in the middle of all the blessing of God, because he does bless us, say, well, this is good enough. The earth itself groans and cries out for the coming of the Lord. And so it is, we think that through our plan and purpose that we can solve problems. So we have the great war in the 1910s and think it is the war to end all wars. But then just a short 30 years later, the second world war comes and even more lives perish. And then we think, well, after the fall of communism, now it's gonna usher in a new era of peace where there's one dominant superpower in America and we can assert peace. And then Islamic milit militism rises up and extremism. And then the wor world is back to a different type of war. All of these things point to Jesus coming back. Jesus is saying, I want to come and I want to rule and I want to reign and I want to be in charge. And natural disasters and wars and all of the different things have been happening for 2,000 years, and they make our hearts scream and cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Whether you come this year or it's 100 years from now or 1,000 years from now, just come, Lord. The timeline's not important. The spirit of expectation is important. I, I, I anticipate the coming of the Lord, not because of what happens uh, through the media reports and they tell us of the different happenings around the world as much as the scripture that says live with anticipation of his coming. And so here in Matthew 24, starting with verse 13, it says, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. Verse 14, this is a hopeful scripture for us today. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Isn't that a wonderful expression of the heart of Jesus? That Jesus wants all men and women to hear his message. And that's why he's given us a job to do. And that's to spread his message here in our community and around the world. One of the things that will happen before the coming of the Lord is more and more nations and ethnic groups and people groups will learn the ways of the Lord. And that's a great, great thing. Right now we're in the middle of the College World Series something that is starting to gain more interest in our nation, especially here in Nashville, since we, in our, in Middle Tennessee here, we host the national champion, the Vanderbilt Commodores, right? Okay, just wanted to see, just like I thought, not many Vandy fans out there, just kind of a weak sampling, kind of a, thank God the Vols didn't win the national championship because then revival would take place here. You guys would be hooting and hollering and screaming. Seeing the popularity of college baseball reminded me of uh, my senior year of high school. Some of my best friends were baseball players. So uh, Ted's parents took us down to College Station, Texas. 
to see Texas A&M and Rice University play college baseball. Rice has a great baseball program. They've won the national championship also. So we went down for a weekend, and if you're not from Texas, you probably don't realize this. Texas A&M University is this huge state university, but it really is a cult. And these people are just, they are crazy. Are there any Aggies in here? Any Aggies? Okay, well, if they were, they would be hooting and hollering. Uh, It's really a fun school. It has a lot of quirky traditions. Uh, They'll be playing here at Vanderbilt in football this year. And if you have a chance to go, you'll see they they have all types of traditions and quirky little cultural things about them that just make them odd, but yet at the same time kind of fun to watch. So we're on campus that weekend, and I'm wearing a ball cap most of the weekend, right, because we're watching baseball. And I go into a particular, our group goes into a particular building with our baseball caps on. It was a student union building. And this guy is like marching like a military guy. They have a military culture there. And he just points at us and he goes, hats off. You know, and he had a real authority on him. So we take off our hats real fast. And it was kind of odd. Like, why did that just happen? And why did we listen to him? And why can't we wear our hats in here? I discovered that um, that particular building, I don't know if it still exists now, but it served at that time as not just a student union, but it was dedicated as a memorial uh, to soldiers who had given their lives. So when you went inside that building, hats were off. That was just their rule. That was their custom. That was the way it was. Here was all weekend long, I had a hat on all weekend. In my hotel room, in the car that I drove or rode in, in the restaurants that I ate in, at the ballpark, I wore a hat. But when I walked through the door, of that building, the rules changed. I was under a different authority then. There was a different standard. There was a different expectation. This is a metaphor of what the kingdom of God is like. And here's your first thing I want you to fill in the blank. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. So it is that we as believers, those of us who are disciples, those of us who are believers, we are under a different rulership than just under the mayor of Hendersonville and the governor of Tennessee and the president and the senators of the United States. Uh, We, yes, abide by the laws of the land, but we also have a different kingdom. We have a different standard. We have a different set of rules. So therefore, no matter what government we're in, no matter what culture we're a part of, no matter what part of the world we live in, we are citizens of these different ethnic, ethno-nations, but we are also and more importantly, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're under a different rulership. We're under a different reign. As if I walked in that building, and when I walked into that building, different rules applied to me than at anywhere else. When we walk into the kingdom of God, when we're adopted into the kingdom, when we're regenerated, when we become sons and daughters of God, we have a different standard, a different ruler, a different reign. We have someone else to follow. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's Jesus being in charge of the different aspects that we allow him to be. Now, we know this is that Jesus rules over the whole cosmos. I mean, everything. Jesus, he rules. He reigns. He's king. He's king of kings, lord of lords, president of presidents, governor of governors. But his actual rule by his sovereign will is dependent on us allowing him to do so. And so we see a different measure of what's happening. Now, I want you to see through some of the scriptures here how the kingdom of God and and how that language is so prevalent. 
Acts 8, chapter 8, verse 12. When they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about what? The kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Acts 19, verse 8. Then he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things related to the kingdom of God. Acts 28, 23. After arranging a day with him, many came to him, this is Paul, many came to Paul at his lodging from dawn to dusk, he being Paul, expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. This language is over and over in the scripture. From Jesus throughout the epistles, the kingdom of God is a phrase that is referred to often over and over and over again. It was very much part of the early church's vernacular. And the idea of this different kingdom, this different reign, this different way of thinking, a ruler who is beyond just what's happening in culture or among the, the nations or among foreign policy or whatever the case is, Jesus has a different type of kingdom. You know what must be really odd is to be a child of a billionaire. I don't know anyone in here who is a child of a billionaire, but if you are, I'd love to meet you in the lobby afterwards and take you to coffee this week and get to know you. A child of a billionaire, let's say this in this hypothetical situation, which is true somewhere, that they have seen the legal documents and they know that they're going to get the inheritance of their father or mother. So they know that all the property, all the cash, all the stocks, all the companies, all the assets are theirs. I mean, it's already been legally established that they're going to get it all. But here's the oddity of it. Even though they're going to get it all, and even though it's theirs, it's not theirs yet. It must be an odd feeling. I wouldn't mind knowing what that odd feeling felt like, but to know all of this stuff is mine. It's mine positionally, it's mine legally, but it's not mine quite yet. This is another metaphor for the kingdom of God. I want you to write this down. The kingdom of God is not yet fully here. This is, this is what I want you to understand so you can see the application in your life. Part of the kingdom of God isn't here, fully here yet. Now, Jesus makes this really clear. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. It's talking about something that's going to happen in the future. This is something that has not happened yet. This is something that will happen in the future. Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 31. It says it this way. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he, Jesus, will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Going on in verse 33, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Now look at this phrase. I underlined it on, your screen, on the screen there. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is very obvious. The kingdom hasn't come fully yet. 
There, there's a kingdom. There's something better. There's, there's something that is more appealing. There's something more fitting. Jesus has gone before us, and there is a kingdom yet to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 9, comes about this kind of at a more negative slant, but it's still valuable information for us to know. Don't you know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? So here's a bunch of people who won't inherit God's kingdom. Now we're about to read a list that describes a whole bunch of us in the church. So thank God for Jesus. Thank God for grace. That's why we are people who are saved by grace, not by works, because me being first would be doomed if I was just saved by moral behavior. I'm saved by grace alone. But pointing out that we need Jesus, he says this, don't be deceived, no sexually immoral people, adulterers, adulterers, every kind of homosexual, verse 10, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbal abusers, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. This is pointing clearly to our need for Christ. Because like I said, I know that that list of different sins that they're all represented in this room of participation. That's, that's all happened to some degree or the other. But here's the point, that there is a kingdom not yet attained. There's an inheritance not yet realized. There's an inheritance that has not come yet. It has not come fully. There's something to look forward to. There's something to strive for. There's something to long for. There's something that our hearts aches for. There's something that lets us know that these 80 to 100 years that we live are not it. This is not just our best. It's not just our best today. There's a better tomorrow. I thank God because of Jesus that he's gone before and he has an inheritance for us. Something that he is guaranteed by his sacrifice on Calvary. Something that he has guaranteed by depositing the Holy Spirit within us. That we have a measure of what we have now, but we don't have the full measure. We have the first fruits, but we don't have the full fruits. We have a sample and we have a taste, but we haven't had the full meal and the full experience. And our hearts long for something better. Listen, as much as I love this world, and I do, I'm living under the blessing of God. I'm living under the favor of God. But that, even that is not enough yet. There is a better day coming. There is a better thing our Lord has prepared for us. And by Jesus, through Jesus and by grace, we'll receive that. So here's the final thing I want to say today. And everything I've said now has built to this third point, because I really hope this impacts your future. So here's the conclusion. The kingdom is already here when the, here's the blank, future reign of God breaks into the present. That's when the kingdom's already here. So there is a future reign of God. We've already established that. There is a better day, a better experience, a full realization of who Jesus is, a full unfolding of his will, better, more pure, more holy, without sin, perfect because of Jesus. But that future present breaks into today through the experience of the Lord. This is great news for us. Let's look at some scriptures that talks about the right now, already kingdom of God. Matthew 12, 28 says this. Jesus said these words. If I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. There's gonna come a day, brothers and sisters, where we will not experience sin. We will not experience evil. We will not experience darkness. 
We will not be controlled by habits that we regret. We will not be controlled by the same perpetual mistakes that we keep making over and over again. We will not be influenced by a dark force of evil because we are gonna see the Lord. And when we see the Lord, we'll be in perfection and holiness. Now, today what is going on is this, is demon spirits are active in the world. They're possessing and oppressing people. And I mean, that is not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be controlled by an evil spirit. But when the spirit of God comes and delivers people, I want you to put that last scripture back up so we can see that again. When the spirit of God comes, Jesus says, when I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Isn't that wonderful to know that the prayer that Jesus prayed, as in heaven, let it be on earth, can start coming upon the lives of people when the spirit of God begins to break bondages of sin. People who are chained in sin, which is me, which is you, that the chain of sin begins to break off because what is going to happen in the future has broken into the present. What is going to happen with the full reign of God is coming with the present reign of God. And that, my friends, is exciting news for us. Here's another scripture. Romans 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Another way to put this contextually is the kingdom of God is not following rules. Because this passage was dealing with, should we eat certain foods or should we drink around certain people? And Paul says that's an individual decision. But here's the deal. The kingdom of God is not about your rules. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful thing that as we walk with the Spirit of God, that we get more of the righteousness of God? Sin is less appealing Holiness is more our desire. The presence of God is more present with us and we're more aware of his presence. And with his presence comes joy. With his presence comes peace. We're not trying to find our peace through entertainment. We're not saying, well, I just need some peace in my life. I need to go to a movie so I can forget my life for two hours. Or I need to go, we need to go legalize all these drugs so then we can get over-the-counter, under-the-counter drugs and we can just escape. We can escape through a drug. We can escape through uh, the abuse of alcohol. Uh, we're gonna escape through some kind of sexual exploit. We're gonna kind of escape through work, being a workaholic and not caring for our family. We're just gonna escape this world and we're gonna find our peace through all these different avenues. No, when the kingdom of God comes, we find our peace through the things of God. We find our peace through the presence of God. We find our peace through the touch of God. And the way it's going to be when Jesus rules and, and, he, and he is over the kingdom of heaven where there's perf perfection and peace and no sin, that happens when the kingdom of heaven comes to us today. Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 5, Jesus sent out these 12 and, give, and he gave them instructions. And he gives them specific instructions. But at the bottom of that slide, verse seven, he says this. As you go, announce this. This is good for us to know. This is what the, the 12, the 70, and now us are supposed to announce. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, drive out demons. You have received free of charge give free of charge. You know, that's the essence of who we are as a people. 
We have weekly worship and we have discipleship programs and we have outreach events because we may not use these words, but we say these words with our actions. The kingdom of heaven is here. There's a better way. There's a better life. There's eternal values. There's a standard that's above what we can come from, from our own morality and our own humanistic perspective. There is a God who is transcendent above us, a standard that's greater, that loves us and has come to us. That which is perfect in heaven, that which is once distant is now close at hand and near. That's the kingdom of God. God's future reign breaking into the presence. God's future reign breaking in to, to now, to today. How can this happen? It can happen a lot of different ways. Let me give you some suggestions. The first one is this, salvation of the lost. Isn't that great to know that those who don't know Christ, who don't care about the eternal life, who don't care about the things of the Lord, by grace, their hearts are regenerated. Now, the things of God mean something. Now, they desire the things the Lord wants. And there is no greater break-in of heaven to earth than the salvation of those who have not believed. There is no greater miracle. There is no greater experience. There is no greater work than salvation coming and resting upon the people of God. And then there's the presence of God. That the presence of God's, when we sense his presence. Now we know this, that the Holy Spirit has been given as a deposit. So the Holy Spirit's with us all the time. The presence of God is with us perpetually because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But there are times, there are times when we just have a greater awareness of his presence. If that's never happened to you, that's okay. That's okay because we're not, we don't have different classes of Christians. But for those of us that that has happened, we need to thank God for that experience where we just have a greater sense of God. There's just times when God's presence just comes and rests upon us. It's like we feel his presence on us. The Old Testament called it the glory of God, which is the heaviness of God, the weightiness of God. And it's a sense of the touch of God. It is experiential where your senses fill his presence. And it's like a gift. It's like the Lord is breaking in. The Lord is just saying, I'm going to give you the gift of my presence. I'm just going to let, let my presence just rest on you. It may be through a devotional time. It may be through praying with others. It may be in a service like this when a large gathering of Christians are together and you just sense God. But it's God's future reign breaking in on your presence. The revival of believers. The word revival is a word that, that I avoided for a lot of years because I had some baggage with that word. It's not a complicated word. It's not really even a word, I think, that's in the Bible from my knowledge, but it's a simple word. It means to revive, to bring life back. And historically, from Acts 3.19 that we shared last week, we talked of times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. Historically, we've seen that God has sent a visitation of his Holy Spirit to his people that have caused Christians to come back to life again. And I don't know about you, but I need that. I need new life because I want my greatest passion for God to be ahead of me. I don't want to live in my memories. I want to move forward to new things in the Lord. And I just want to say this, and I say this in love. I'm going to say this with no edge on me. Brothers and sisters, you need a revival. You need 
a reviving of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if I could force you, force it to happen to you, I would. Because I love you, but I can't. It's often the sovereign move of God. We, we need life back. The only thing I can do is make you feel guilty. I can be like, we're not serving God like we did in the 1950s. And you don't read your Bible enough and give enough and serve enough and you people and you blah, blah, blah. And all of you would feel real guilty and then forget about it by the end of your afternoon nap. So that just has limited value. I can't make revival happen to you, but I can point you to Jesus. And listen, and may the Lord begin to stir the hunger because we need new life in the church. We need new life in the church. We need new passion for the lost. We need a new hunger for the scripture. We need more desire to pray. We, we need uh, God to cause it to feel fresh again and new again. And the Lord wants to send a visitation of his spirit to revive the church. Now, here's the deal. When man kind and even spiritual leaders try to force it and try to create it, then it becomes a work of the flesh. So what do we do? We stay in process. We have weekly church. We keep going to church every Sunday and our prayer team keeps meeting every Thursday and they keep meeting before service every Sunday. And you know, we keep teaching our kids and we keep having a youth service and we keep going to beach camp and we keep having VBS and we keep having Awana and we keep faithful, faithful, process, process. And as we're faithful to the Lord and as we begin to seek him in in the seasons, in the consistency, in the faithfulness, when we least suspect it, the kingdom of God is gonna rush in and it's gonna break in and he's preparing his people. He's preparing his people to be people of process and people faithful so that when he sends a visitation of his spirit, then it's something that man has not manufactured. It's something totally of God. We, it's like, we don't know, how did this happen? It's like, where did the wind come from? We don't know. We just feel the wind, right? That's what Jesus said. So it is by the Spirit. We cannot make it happen. We just have to be faithful and know that it can. And we want to be ready for it so God can do his word. Physical healing, we've talked about this already. I, I go visit people in the hospital and I pray prayers of healing with them. And I can't explain why it works this way. Sometimes, you know, I pray, God, heal this person. Kind of like, God, bless this food today. You know, bless this food, bless the food, and heal. It's just kind of a prayer, and you say the right words, and God honors that. He does. But then it happens. It happens that the Spirit of God begins to flood that hospital room, and all of a sudden, I just feel that there's, there, the presence of God is with us. This isn't just any prayer. This just isn't word. It's a visitation from heaven. The kingdom of God is breaking in. There's going to come a day when we don't have disease, and we don't have sickness, and we don't have genetic deficiencies, and we don't have viruses, and we don't have all the things that plague us today, and God, in his sovereign will, he breaks in. The kingdom breaks in at different times, and he touches us with physical healing to let us know he's coming back, to let us know that he has a future plan for us. And then in our city and in different regions and even in our nation, a renewal of Christian values. Uh, at first I said a spiritual renewal, but that doesn't mean anything because that could be meditation on crystals or whatever, a renewal of, of this kind of bland, um, borderless kind of faith that we're all religions kind of blend together. No, I'm talking about a renewal of a very specific faith. 
the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the psalmist, the God of the prophets, the God who came to Bethlehem and chose to submit himself to human form, the God who went to a hill called Calvary and gave his life, the God who came out of the grave on the third day at resurrection power. I'm not talking about any God. I'm talking about a very specific God, a God who has a name, a God who has a character and what our city needs and what our nation needs and what our world needs is not just a renewal of spirituality and not a renewal of religion. We need a renewal of the God of the Bible, the God who's named Jesus, the God who rules and reigns. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the God of gods. There is no one that compares to our God. And I say, as in heaven, let it be on earth. As it's in heaven, God, let it come down to your people and let us see the future reign of God break in to today. Amen. Can we praise the Lord for that? I'm going to invite our ushers to now prepare for us to take communion. And I, I, I want you guys to go and start getting ready for that because one of the things we do to show the future reign of God that breaks into the present is when we observe the Lord's Supper and that we see that symbolic exercise of the bread that represents his body and the cup that represents his blood. And we partake and take all of Jesus, all of who he is, not just part of Jesus, but all of him. And you're not obligated to take communion. If you, for whatever reason, you may choose not to today. There's no judgment in that, but you're all welcome to take communion. If you're a believer in Christ, and I wanna give you an opportunity to become a believer in Christ because here is a realization that some of you, the kingdom of God has not broken into your present. I mean, you, you are not a true believer in the Lord. You're, you're not living for Jesus. You're observe, maybe you're observing religion, maybe you're not, but you're not following Jesus. The kingdom hasn't broken in. The future reign of God has not broken into your heart and to your intentions, to your attitude, to your life. And I wanna give you a chance today. In the first service, we had one young man raise his hand on a crowd very similar to this in size. One person raised their hand. One young man raised his hand to say, this is my day, this is my day. And I praise God. All of heaven rejoiced in that. All of heaven rejoiced in that. It was all worth, everything we did today was worth that one young man raising his hand. All the work that we did to, to, to even have this building exist, was worth it for that one man. And so could this be your day? Could this be your moment? The kingdom of God wants to break in. The kingdom of God wants to come. There's a greater future for you. There's a greater day for you. There's an eternity with God that he's preparing for you. And he says that he wants you to acknowledge him today. Because if you acknowledge him today, he's gonna have his future reign break into your present. He's gonna break into your present life. Would you just close your eyes? And this is, I'm gonna ask you, to raise your hand and I'm gonna be your witness. You're raising your hand, not for me, you're raising your hand for God, but I'm gonna be a witness that you are saying today it changes. Today I am no longer following myself, I'm following God, I'm repenting of my sins, I'm following Christ, I'm gonna let him be the Lord of my life and I'm gonna look this section to your left, if you're sitting in the far left section, uh, not, your, not my left, but your left, and with, with eyes closed, just raise your hand right now. Say, I need to make that decision today. Raise your hand right now. Anyone in that far left section? Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else in that far left section? 
Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing for that one sister in that far left section. Anyone in this middle section, raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now. If there's anyone in that middle section. Well, I'm looking, looking in the back. Anyone in the back? Anyone in the middle? What about the far right section? If that's you, just raise your hand. Raise your hand right now. If that's you, said, I need to make a decision today. Raise your hand right now. No, no delay. Just do it right now. Well, praise the Lord. From my knowledge, from my knowledge, from my perspective, I only saw one hand up and one in the first, one in the second. And the sister who raised your hand, the Lord wants you to know you are worth it. You are worth it. God planned this service for you. He planned this message for you. He planned this understanding. The Holy Spirit has come to you this day out of love. And the Lord says, you're never gonna be the same because of what he's done in your life today. It's not what you did. All you did is lift your hand. It's what Christ did for you. It's what Christ did for you. Father, I pray you mark this sister. You mark her today, God. You mark her as yours. She's your daughter. She doesn't belong to Satan. She doesn't belong to the enemy. She's your daughter. She belongs to you. So we give her to you. So we thank you and praise you. Jessica Shea is going to uh, lead us in a song she wrote. It's a beautiful song that is a prayer that I think will prepare our hearts for communion. It'll be a prayer for all of us. We're so glad to have her gift before she leaves uh, for Australia for a year of training. So Lord, as we now prepare to take the bread and cup, we commit this time to you. Let us know if there's any sin in our life. And God, we uh, commit this time to you. Hold the bread and cup until I come up later. And then we will uh, pray once again together. We commit this time to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.